Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the Hour of Badass Power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And this week we are going to be talking about radical brownies. Yes, the days of just baking cakes and doing good deeds are over. They are becoming radicalised. We'll also be looking at the rise of women in tech... Some, we've got the amazing Sarah Wood from Unruly joining us to talk about that. And as always, we'll be answering your questions in our Badass Balls Ups and introducing you to an amazing backdated badass, a woman from history you absolutely need to know about. But we're starting off with our news roundup of the week and the stories that we've all been talking about. Nat, what have you got for us? William Bradley Pitt, Hello, better known as Brad Pitt, um, had his eat, pray, love moment uh, in, in GQ. And instead of him sort of regaling stories of sitting on the sofa in his dressing gown or in his pants, eating kettle chips, eating pasta, he, you know, spoke about his life and rolling around his sprawling mansion, um, making clay statues. And <laughs> he's talking about life post Angelina in his new world where he's rediscovered himself. He, he is. He is. Bless him. And the opening line, I, you know, I always do this, share a bit from the article, summer is coming. And in America, that means it's time to hit the national parks. So we took Brad Pitt and photographer Ryan McGlinley across three of them, the Everglades, White Sands and somewhere else. We then sat down with Pitt in his home in LA for a raw conversation about how to move forward after things fall apart. It then goes on to, in his defence, a very honest account of what it means to be a man who's going through a divorce when you know you have messed up. But they then do this weird thing where the story turns into a convoluted conversation about rebirth and basically he's just he's having a bad time and he he just needs someone to cook him a decent meal. I totally disagree Emma. with you both on this. Like people have said this, oh why is his PR not hiding him away? But don't they always do that? They always do that with celebrities. They always do it with male celebrities. Mm. I love the fact that this is a guy who is like really manly, you know, a very like sexy man and he is being all like he's had a really tough time and he's being really vulnerable and open. I think we need to encourage I agree. He has had a tough time. But I think Angelina, dealing with a husband who quite obviously has a problem with alcohol and maybe some other substances, might have had a tougher time. Yes. I no, and I'm I'm not negating that, but I'm I'm I think it's a really positive thing that more men are coming up and going, you know what? I totally messed up. I had a problem with drink. I had a problem with drugs and I'm fixing it. And I'm not perfect, but I am being vulnerable about this dark time in my life. We need more men to talk about this. Male suicide is super high because men are not encouraged to talk about their dark times. I agree with you. But for some reason, that's not what comes across in the article. They kind of 
add all of this colour in them with the, the sort of photo shoot with him half crying but not and then stating that just the, the top of his neck equates to about £5,000 and Marina Hyde's um, piece on this was absolutely hysterical. Um, that detracts from the fact that he is, he's heartbroken, he's hurting, he's probably been through depression, he has been on the dark side of of life. The article does not do him any justice at all. At all. But do you know what I find quite frustrating about this? And I, I don't want to pull Brad down because, you know, we have all laid on our sofa and listened to some bad music and said some really stupid <laughs> things in the pit of heartbreak. We have all done that. But do you know what? We were all doing it in our mid-twenties. We were all doing it in our <laughs> mid-twenties. And then we had to grow up and get on with life and be adults. And it feels to me like we're in this world where women have to do that from a very early age. But men get to continue this massive adolescence right into middle age. No, I don't think it's adolescence. The older you get, the tougher life gets. And the, like, he's had a big loss. He is, he is massively mucked up and he's had a big loss. He's lost his beautiful wife and he's lost his kids. And he is now like suffering from that. I think as you, as you get older, the consequences of your actions are much bigger. People lose marriages. They lose homes. They lose really good friends. Like... Uh, yeah, I don't think we can... But I think the disconnect in my mind as well is what I know Brad to be. So I always assumed Brad Pitt in Heartbreak would be Brad Pitt in Fight Club. He'd be all manly, walking around the house, being a bit, you know, the bravado. And what he's showing here is a completely different side. And I'm just saying, so that there's, there is a bit of a disconnect there. I'm thinking about Brad in Legends of the Fall. So to have this, an article that is quite, the word's not weepy but uh, I don't think the article just does it he's vulnerable but vulnerable in a I just want to slap you way I'd want to slap you get you in the shower give you a cup of tea and and, and tell you to get on with it so that I do think is really interesting because why do we expect Brad Pitt to be this kind of hard tough guy that's not fair we wouldn't ask that of of another woman we should allow him that space to grieve I just wish he'd been doing it at 25 26 like the rest of the women no, I'm okay I'm okay with it doing now and if he's I'm okay with him using clay as his form of therapy <laughs> and if he would like to reenact the ghost moment with me that's okay uh, maybe I'll drop him a tweet later and just see if he's up for that like I can be very comforting when I want to be yeah cool Emma for some empathy I actually re- <laughs> I rewatched Legends of the Fall the other day for the first time in 20 years it doesn't hold up sad sad to say it's not what it was when I was 15 uh, so our second story of the week radical brownies emma what is this well the guardians calling them calling them radical brownies but they're not but it's a very it's a very interesting new kind of girls group that comes through we're all familiar with were you brownies girl guys i was a girl i was a brownie i was a brownie for exactly three weeks and then they asked me to leave (laughs) i don't know why i still don't know why why did they not want me i'm not sure about the whole scouting movement now and and what what those groups do but this one is a really they're called the radical monarchs and they have come out of Oakland in California and uh, this lady has set a group up for women to be much more aware about what's going on. They get badges not for knitting or cooking or I don't know, woodwork skills. They get badges now for understanding Black Lives Matter, um, radical self-love uh, and there's a great documentary on The Guardian and I think it's really interesting but but some of it I'm uncomfortable with. So there's lots of great parts of it where um, there are uh, transgender and disabled people coming in and giving a chat to these girls. They're like 8 to 12 years old, you know. But there's a lot of it that I feel is just really forcing them to have very radical, albeit you know, positive points of view. But I just feel, I don't know about you, I just feel as a child you should be brought up and and made aware of the world and have knowledge, but not necessarily driven down a very extreme point of view. Also certainly if we if we knew that those young girls were being exposed to maybe very right wing or fascistic viewpoints, we would be all up in arms about it. We'd be like, this is horrifying, you shouldn't be indoctrinating them. So why do we think it's okay because it's a kind of more progressive liberal viewpoint, is that what you're saying? Yes, I guess so. It's just it's again, it is an extreme viewpoint. There's lots of positives about it, but I just yeah, I it just sat really uncomfortably with me. Now, are you an opinionated eight year old? Uh was I an opinionated? Yeah, I was probably I was probably very precocious. Um, was I opinionated in that I knew much about the world and I was active in knowing and, and challenging the things I saw? Definitely not. Um, I'm with Em on this. I think I would want my son, daughter, to just be aware. 
but not to be forced any one viewpoint. But what happens if they are made aware and then they feel strongly about that viewpoint? Because there's definitely a big upsurge in teen activism. So looking at the likes of Teen Vogue, which has gone, you know, full scale woke on kind of everything. Teen. Teen, teen, but Mm. not that that age. It's eight, eight, seven, eight, nine... I still I want them to just kind of engage with what and have conversations and ask and if they because you know kids at the moment are seeing war and they're seeing a lot more violence than we would have ever seen uh, I, I would want to be able to have that conversation but not say this is how you must respond and this is how you must react and then in their teens if they wanted to say you know I want to take a stand I would I, I would want to help them through that so the thing I think is really interesting is that I actually quite like giving kids something to rebel against you know, so I think I actually Just saying corrupting children, yeah, corrupting children. yeah, like give you something to be angry about in your teenage years, so that you get active, so that you do stuff, so that you take on a cause. And I'm really worried that actually, if we create all these massively progressive and liberal eight-year-olds, we're going to have very kind of conservative right-wing teenagers. You know, we look at the kind of millennial generation now, where they don't want to go out and they like to keep themselves very safe and well looked after, and it's much. It seems much kind of honestly much politer than when I was a teenager I think as a human being I think when you're 8 to 12 you should just be experiencing the world and have lots of open viewpoints and 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 have some understanding I think as human beings we all have different things that we're passionate about and the more knowledge you have the more you can find the things that really light your fire and get you excited or angry or passionate or that you want to change so you know if you 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 can really influence an 8 year old down a certain path and I yeah I'm just yeah it's not the it's not it's not necessarily (laughs) the method that i i I would i would choose i think teaching them skills to understand who they are and sharing what's going on out out there in the world is is the better approach but uh, you know they they might be doing that although i do just love i do love the idea of having these kind of radicalized brownies holding protest marches down the street i'm up for that i mean i feel like an eight-year-old could cause a lot of interesting And so then the final story of this week, and um, it's one that we found in The Guardian, and it's about the rise of the concept of femtech. So technology that is designed for women. Um, and there's been a lot of talk previously about how tech hasn't really thought about women's needs or women's requirements. Um, for example, we know that when Apple created their kind of health app, they didn't take into account that women might want to track their periods or anything like that. Um, and we're now having a bit of a resurgence against this. So the amount of technology in health apps and ideas that are created with women's lifestyle in mind is rising. Now, on the one hand, I'm really excited about this because I think <laughs> anything made for me is a good thing. Um but I also feel like it's a little bit of, are we just using women as a consumer base? Have we just finally woken up to the fact that women have some money to spend and so we're targeting them? Nat, what do you think? So that's what popped into my mind. This came up um, at your flock event this week. There was a young woman sitting in front of me and she was talking about a new app she's developed. And she said, I'm in the, in the femtech industry. My app is for tracking periods, but then linking it to the supplements you might need. And I was with her up until the point where she said, and then tracking the supplements you might need. Because that's when I was like, sell, sell, sell. And this big flashy light came on. Now, most people, I, I am a full fat capitalist, I'm <laughs> so I have nothing wrong with the sell and the making money. But I know that's one of the first things that switches me off from using an app. Don't sell me stuff. Seriously, let me use it. So I'm using my fitness fitness pal at the moment to track my nutrients and not nutrients. What are those things called? Calories. See, I've blocked the word out. <laughs> Calories. But as soon as I feel like I'm being sold to, I, I, it, it just, it, I, I just don't like it. And that, I, how, if if we start taking collecting women's data and then saying, well, now you need this and you should be having this, are we not to perpetuating what well, the sorts of things? Emma, are should we just say it's entrepreneurial? Well, we should just allow it. Yeah, I. We've been controlling eighty percent of purchasing anyway, so mm. we have been spending money and been influencing spending money, but not on any products that necessarily have been designed for us. I think there's definitely something about a hard sell, but most of the stuff that I'm seeing in terms of the femtech is really phenomenal. I've just I've just signed up to Natural Cycles, which is the contraception... Um, contraceptive app. Contraceptive app. And it is brilliant, the education. And you can also buy stuff through their website. What and I'm you actually... You can buy things for testing your fertility. You can buy um, tampax, uh, tampons through there, uh, sanitary, like all of those, anything that you need to do with feminine... Um, 
Feminine hygiene is the feminine phrase hygiene. you're looking but, for, babe. I, I would rather buy through that app because that app is incredible in terms of knowledge, how it's like educating me. It's brilliant. So we're going to keep this conversation going into our next section with Sarah Wood, who is the co-founder of Unruly and co-chief executive. And we're going to be talking women in tech because also I want to know if we start creating a femtech world, are we just going to siphon women off and say, if you want to work in technology, girls, that's fine. Just do the stuff with periods. That's what I worry about. So we will be back talking talking to her after this break. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And we're also joined by the amazing Sarah Wood, founder and co-CEO of Unruly. Sarah, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So first things first, Can you tell us what Unruly actually does? Yes. um, So we get videos watched, shared, loved for 90% of the top brands globally. Uh, So you might say we help brands go viral, uh, but it's not always about going viral. It's about helping brands connect authentically with their consumers. Okay. And so for the technological Luddites amongst us, how? <laughs> so it's, it's two, the two ways. One, we test content so we can evaluate its emotional impact. We can evaluate how successful it's going to be and with who. Uh, and then the second part is it's just it's advertising. It's digital advertising. Yeah, it's video ads um, on websites, lots of great sites that you love, premium trusted brand environments. And how did you kind of come up with this idea? Because you've been doing it for a while now, way back in the days when everyone... Nobody knew this was even possible. So we tried lots of things and we failed at lots of things. And finally, we found something that worked. <laughs> we're like, yes, we're going to push this one. Uh, we started off, we uh, myself, two co-founders, um, Matt and Scott, set up the company in 2006. Uh, we knew we wanted to do something around the social web. Really exciting time. Um, the internet was changing. Everyone was getting social, able to upload content, leave comments on other people's content. It was getting a lot more opinionated. Uh, it was becoming what we know today. And we wanted to be part of that. Uh, first of all, we built a comedy portal called eatmyhamster.com. Uh, that oh didn't my God, fly. I, yeah. I can't believe you built that. That's amazing. Well, it, didn't, okay. it, didn't, it didn't work out, so we killed the hamster. Um, <laughs> built viral video chart, which tracked the most shared videos. Uh, and then we built out a distribution platform to help brands take advantage, harness the potential of social. Amazing. And what has kind of changed in the 10 years you've been doing this? Oh, this is one of the cool things about having done something for so long. You can get a real sense of time yeah. and what has changed so much. Um, mobile is the biggest change, I would say. Uh, so when we started out, uh, this was before the iPhone was launched. So there were no real smartphones uh, and everything was desktop and everything was on the blogosphere. So, so then the social wave really came along. Facebook became huge. Twitter launched. Uh, and that, I guess what we've seen, the, the, the growing trend we've seen is um, more visuals, more video. People are increasingly wanting to spend time on mobile watching video. Uh, and then we thought we've also seen a shift away from the what people wanting to send everything viral uh, and people being a bit more discerning about who they share with and, and how they interact with video. Brands getting smarter about their strategies. I want to know uh, what's the next. There's always seems to be these things with cats and dogs videos like everybody shares cats and dog videos I love, I love a dog video. I'm not so fast about cat I love a dog video what is the what do you think the the future is of content do you, do you seeing a change do you think that we're going to like stop having these kind of silly videos or you know what's a what are you seeing in terms of evolving trends? Uh, so I don't think the cats are going anywhere, <laughs> or the dogs, uh, because they're close at hand. Yeah. Uh, and we, we often film uh, or take pictures of what we see and what's near us and what we care about. Uh, and so many of us care about our pets. So that tends to be the case with video content. Um, p- people uh, watch video, talk about video that they really love and that has an emotional connection. So video trends evolve depending on the trends of the nation and how people are feeling. So some, some years we'll see really positive videos are trending, inspirational videos are all the thing. Other years, people are a bit more satirical, a bit more jaded. Mm. Um, so you do see these trends in terms of whether it's happy ads, sad ads, um, wicked ads, fail ads, um, or, and video culture more generally, you see that. So video culture at the moment has a really big problem, which is around the concept of fake news and how do we know what to believe and how do we know what's sponsored or not sponsored or created um, kind of just for the joy of it or created to sell something. How do you work with brands to kind of manage that? So it's 
so important that provenance is clear and clearly disclosed. Uh, and provenance, I think, is more important to consumers, to people, than ever before, whether it's where your potatoes come from uh, you know, or where your ad comes from. We want to know. We need to know where things come from. That's really important to us. Yeah. Um, so we've always been big on this right from the start. Um, we mandate disclosure. It has to be clear. Uh, and also we say to brands, don't be ashamed of your brand. Just make sure that the video content you create is so awesome that you're proud of it and you want to put your brand on there and you want people to associate that content with your brand. Right. Emma. So uh, for me, I run a, a network for entrepreneurs called Flock and a lot of people are in their early stages. Now, you to, to myself and lots of our other members, you're like a proper grown-up entrepreneur. You've built a business from nothing and you've now sold it. So I'm as a... <laughs> as a, a junior midweight entrepreneur <laughs> learning as I go like what are how has that journey been has it been really really tough has it been like what, what are your kind of like learnings from that because you have done the full cycle and I think I think that's really interesting it is really interesting having done the full cycle I wouldn't say I'm a grown up and in fact uh, uh, <laughs> uh, one of our slides that I have on the introduction deck to Amruli uh, says scaling up not growing up because <laughs> I think it's really important that you, you stay curious you almost a childlike in the way you approach new ideas and you're open to new ideas uh, and I think that's that's important for any entrepreneur not to lose that passion for mm -hmm. innovation mm -hmm. uh, and that curiosity for looking around the corner and seeing what, what comes next um, I love change uh, and one of our values I'm really is inspire change uh, so I've really enjoyed doing all the different parts of the journey right through to acquisition um, so even the post acquisition phase which I know lots of entrepreneurs don't necessarily enjoy I really enjoyed it uh, it's, it's awesome being part of a bigger com company having access to the scale and the reach that the news core titles have has been brilliant for our clients because now we can put our ads on really great sites um, and it's just it's taught us different skills and I think as long as you're learning as an entrepreneur you're going to continue doing a great job. Great, thank Matt, you. I want to know more about the company culture. You've mentioned the values. Um, there are lots of stories about how amazing your offices are and how um, how much you've used the workplace to inspire a way of working. And again, it's something that comes up at events often. How do I harness innovation or how do I enable my people to feel free? And it's, it's really difficult. And but I always say, if the environment people work in doesn't reflect how you want them to behave, then you're off. Yeah. You're starting it from a, from a bad place. So tell us more. Uh, about I that. think that's absolutely spot on. Uh, and although we, we work in digital, we're a digital video company, the real world, you know, IRL is, is, is where we inhabit. Yeah. Uh, and how comfortable our chair is and how, how well we can communicate with people around us uh, and whether or not we smile when we come into the office in the morning, that's what makes the difference to the quality of the work. Uh, and our mission is to deliver the most awesome social video campaigns on the planet. Planet. And you can only do that if you feel you're somewhere where you're valued, um, where you're respected, where you're learning. Uh, and the workplace is a huge part of it. Kitchen is the most important part of the building. Yeah. Um, I would say to any entrepreneur, the kitchen table is the most important bit of furniture that you'll ever buy. That's where you're going to have your best ideas. That's where you'll fall out. That's where you'll make up. <laughs> you'll make up over a cup of coffee. Or you'll fall out over a cup of coffee. You'll make up over a cup of tea. <laughs> and if you stay late, you know, you'll forget all about it over a cocktail later on at night. It's, it's great to have spaces where people can congregate come together and share ideas so are you building a family because it, it just that idea of the, the kitchen is it is that where you've taken those values and that ethos from so it's an interesting question and many people would say it feels like a family and it certainly feels like an extended family to me but I, I wouldn't say that proactively it would feel disingenuous because you can't fire members of your family yeah well, um, I mean, well, you, I, tried, maybe you can. I have tried <laughs> as so I'm, hard. As I'm saying it, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, but when you think about your children, you, you t your children with you, come what may. But sometimes when you're in a, in a business, it's a team more mm. than a family. And sometimes the players just aren't the right players for that stage of growth. Uh, and then it's about making sure that you nurture people and help people through to the next phase of their careers. And it might not be within our four walls, but you want to make sure that they're off to somewhere great. Brilliant. What's the kind of biggest lesson you've learned about leadership and management in the 10 years you've been running it? It's all about the team. It's all about the team. And every day when things go wrong for me, um, and I know that I'm not being the leader that I could be, it's because I'm not thinking about the team and I'm letting my ego get in the way. Uh, and I just think, you know, trust the team, train, blah, 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 trust the team, train the team, delegate to the team. But it's the hardest thing to do if you're an entrepreneur because you want everything to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs>
Am I? So, Sarah, you're in this incredible now with all your business acumen, a really influential position now. Uh, I see you are on the board for lots of like top events and things. Now that you, now that you're a woman in a position of influence, of um, power, are there any things that you are trying to change or shape um, now? You now you have this influence. One of the really nice things about um, feeling more confident and more secure in my position is that there are things that I can speak out on now Mm. that I might not have done five years ago when I was still trying to get my business off the ground and wanted to make sure that I wasn't pissing anyone off. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, And um, events are are a great example. So I think uh, I work really hard to make sure that we have more women speaking at events uh, in technology, in advertising, in media. uh, And if you you can't see it, you can't be it. I'm a big believer of that. So I, I love the fact that I can be there for lots of women and show them that you don't have to be the stereotypical power hungry woman you can be you can be yourself and actually that's the most important thing because nobody can do that better than you Uh, so come into work as yourself and just make sure you find a good company somewhere where you can thrive learn as a leader by being yourself we were talking before the break about femtech and the rise of the kind of female tech industry are you seeing that and how do you feel about it being dubbed femtech I dislike the, the yeah. concept of femtech, if I'm being honest. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't mind if we talked about mantech. Yeah. Um, if we talked about mantech and we talked about femtech, maybe that would be fair enough. But we don't talk about mantech. Um, so my anxiety around femtech is it marginalises half of the planet. Yeah. Uh, and it also marginalises the female entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I disagree with uh, Nat with your point about uh, you don't like being sold things. Um, my perspective, I would turn that on its head and say, why shouldn't women entrepreneurs make the money? Why should just the, the male entrepreneurs be allowed to go out there and sell and make the money? So I, whenever I see a female entrepreneur who is selling uh, and is growing a business, uh, I try and support that and you know, really nurture that spirit because um, I'm probably a skinny capitalist. <laughs> I, I, I think it's great to, for people to have the opportunity uh, and you know, to, to grow their quality of life and to grow their income. And I think this is all really positive, but it needs to be done with mission and purpose. Yeah. Uh, and it's great to have more women doing that, more women having the money because often where the money is, the power is. Yeah. Um, because only when you're in those positions of power and when you're in positions of influence and you're in a position of wealth can you really have a big impact on how society is run. Do you think it's then important for women to actually be aware of what they're buying and where it comes from and start supporting more female-owned brands, female-friendly companies? I think it's important for everybody to be aware of where products come from uh, and then to support the companies that fit their values. Uh, so I love supporting female-led startups. Um, I, I love supporting entrepreneurs regardless. <laughs> but I especially like supporting female-led startups because they don't often get the support or get the recognition. And if you could give our readers just one piece, readers, listeners, one piece of advice, old school there, one piece of advice about starting up their own company or if they've got an idea, what should they be doing? They should try things out. There is no better way of learning than trying. Um, and there are so many opportunities now to do that. Uh, in fact, there's a, a really awesome course that's happening over the summer. Uh, it's called the Digital News Academy. Uh, it's happening at News UK over at The Times and The Sun. Uh, and this is a really interesting course because it's welcoming not just journalists, but also developers and coders. Mm. These are kids who are just 18 to 24, wanting to get their first steps uh, in the business, in the industry, really interested in media, um, but don't necessarily have the work experience. This is to give them an opportunity. All expenses paid, one week, helping to put together a multimedia news product could be an app could be an audio app could be a podcast who knows what it might be um, but that's the kind of way I would say anyone who's interested in, in um, kind of getting into business needs to actually try something get their hands dirty work with other people and build a network that would be my so other bit sweet. of advice how do they apply? Oh, that's a great that's a great point how do they apply? they go to the news.co.uk website it's academy news.co.uk I think um, we'll put it in the show notes it's fine <laughs> fantastic uh, and the deadline date is uh, the middle of June so when, when when exams are finished get cracking with the application and I love the fact it's all expenses paid because this isn't just for um, you know for an elite who can afford to take that wig this is about digital inclusion digital inclusion diversity is absolutely critical to the future of our economy so it's great to see people of all walks of life be encouraged to imply fabulous thank you Sarah so Sarah's going to stay with us for our next section which is of course our badass balls ups where we use our combined over 100 years of wisdom to help you with your problems 
maybe not always helpful but we try and that's what matters and of course if you have a problem that you want to share with us if you've got something you want our advice on do you know what you should find us on twitter at badass women's hour hr at badass women's hour or instagram or facebook all the socials and tell us do tell us your problems we always want to hear it hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Or give your opinion on the problems we have today. That's coming up next. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we're also joined by the fantastic Sarah Wood founder and co-CEO of Unruly. Sarah, thanks for still being with us. Um, and now we're going to look at our badass balls up. So your problems that we bring our combined wisdom to try and solve. We're going to be better. One day we will properly solve a problem for someone. We really will. Um, so Ems, you're starting us off this week. What have you got? So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about tipping etiquette and when you should tip and when you shouldn't tip. And for instance, if I go for a bikini wax, I will tip the the lady who waxes because I'm thinking if you're looking at eight vaginas a day <laughs> the least I could do is give you a tenner <laughs> <Not a, laughs> so I just wanted to know like what are the rules when you go for like when I know you tip in restaurants but do you ever tip for like beauty and hair treatments or like like what I was getting this like fudge around when so I should tip and when I shouldn't I tell you what I'm finding really confusing at the moment is the kind of treatments that come to your house problem so then they come to your house and then you give them cash as a thank you and that for me feels weirdly like prostitution <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know about this either Sarah what do you think do you tip for everything or are you a no tip rule oh well I don't go out much I, I spend a lot of time working with the kids so it doesn't doesn't necessarily affect me that much but mind you, I have a couple of general principles uh, one principle is um, if you're not sure err on the side of generosity um, then you just won't feel bad about it afterwards and you know that if you're tipping someone it's someone who's not earning much money and they will really appreciate it uh, and then I have another rule which is to round up to the to the, ne- the next nearest note um, but I know it's it's so culturally driven and it varies by country. And sometimes I tip in a different country and my friends laugh at me and go, oh, I can't believe you just did that. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, I don't worry about it too much. I do love having, like, be generous as a principle. I think that's fabulous. I love that. Now, what do you do? Do you tip? Well, I've just had a therapy, a personal therapy session. I don't like nudge behaviours. So and that's the sales thing. So I don't like nudge behaviour tipping. So if I feel like you're making me tip, as part of nudge behaviour, then I don't want to tip. Hang on, but so are you somebody who takes tip, off the 12.5% on a restaurant bill? No, it's not that so... But I, I get really annoyed when uh, taxis at the moment, the tip option comes up first. And it's it's that awkward thing where you're kind of, you know, rushing to get out of the car. I hate it. I almost flinch internally. And I'll still do it, but I don't like the nudge because I would have done it anyway. So I've just noticed that about myself. That's <laughs> so for a second there, I thought you were going to tell us you tipped uh, your therapist, but no, okay. <laughs> it, well, I probably should. Um, so I, I'm a rounder-upper. 
and I again it's a generosity thing there, there are some people I worked I you know I've done the hospitality waiting tables mm-hmm. pouring drinks and if someone is busting their butt on a night out even if they haven't been to my table at all, I will always make sure there's a decent tip. You see, I actually always feel this as well because having done that whole waitressing thing, even if the service is not that good, I still remember actually the sheer hell of mm-hmm. being on your feet for yeah. eight, ten hours and sometimes dealing with really horrible people and actually just not wanting to be there. Not mm-hmm. wanting to be there. And I want to say, I'm sorry <laughs> this is <laughs> that you're having a bad day. De- bad day right now I wish you weren't taking it out on my drinks order but it's okay (laughs) here's a little something to make you feel better I think it's important Um, so our second problem this week Nat what is it all about exit interviews so this came up via social someone said I'm leaving a company and obviously I'm having an exit interview there are things they could do better but how do I share this information without burning bridges because actually I could be quite scathing I could really let them have it but I don't want them to think that I'm a complete a-hole. What to do? Mm. Sarah, what... <laughs> have you ever had anyone in an exit interview that you were like, thank God you are out of here? Oh. Well, it's worth remembering with exit interviews that they are, they're quite special moments. They're very precious mm. because you're catching people on the way out at that moment, but they can also be quite emotionally charged. Um, so we always treat treat them with caution when we're when we're looking at exit interviews if you're in one of those interviews i think it's a great opportunity to give positive constructive feedback but in a way that doesn't make anybody feel bad and doesn't burn any bridges i think it's absolutely fine to say thank you i've had the most incredible time here Uh, and because i know how much you're committed to learning and improving the culture um i know you'll be i know you won't mind at all if i say that X, Y, Z. Um, and because then it's a gift. It's a genuine parting gift and, and offering to help in some way as well. So if you want to say, oh, I would have been great if it was a mentoring program and I know I'm not going to be part of the company anymore. But hey, if you'd love me to be a mentor, I'd be really happy to help out with that. I think that's a beautifully put there, Sarah. <laughs> that is why you're as successful as you are, because putting bad news in such a charming way <laughs> is a skill um, but also I think there's that thing never, you never know where people are going to end up you never no, know where true. people are going to end up Emma? but then I, I look at myself in my 20s when I was really passionate and really really probably annoying as an employee because I was always looking at things that could be changed and always going why is it done that way I don't think it should be done that way and I just know that I just probably would have had more ranty exit interviews than I would now as a as an older see I've been an in-service feedback person so when I'm in the company I'm like um can I sit down with you and just tell you some things that I think we need to work on across the organization or I sat down with a deputy CEO to point out that the actual CEO was a complete douche um and why and what needed to change so I don't have a problem doing that and I don't think I've had an exit interview um (laughs) somebody pretty much said it all they knew why you were going the other thing I think it's really interesting it's not just exit interviews but you're leaving speech so have you never had a leaving speech so I worked for an organisation at one point when to put it politely a lot of people left at roughly the same time so there was a leaving speech happening pretty much every single day and it is really interesting to watch the people that just didn't care. They were like, Do you know what? On this speech, I'm just going to use it to slay everyone who's annoyed me, my boss, everyone I think's treated me badly. I'm going for the laughs. And actually, it comes a point where you have to be like, people are going to remember that. Mm-hmm. When you come back, people remember it. So, yeah, by all means, use your exit interview as a chance to tell people what's wrong with the company, but do it in a way where they feel loved and nurtured. Or just don't do it at all. <laughs> um, so my problem for this week actually um, comes from a woman I know who works in the finance industry, quite a male-dominated industry. And um, she, within her team, she manages a client relationship. And this client is a man and he's quite fond of her. And it would be sort of you know, very fond of her, in fact. In fact, he's made it quite clear that he quite fancies her. And he wants to take her out for dinner. Um And she's very uncomfortable about it. She doesn't really want to go, but her boss really values this business. It's a big chunk of business and he wants her to go out for dinner. What should she do? Emma, what do you Mm. think? Oh God, it's really hard, isn't it? It's like, I mean, I think it depends on the, if that person that she's going out on a a potential client meeting with is 
is crossing boundaries. I don't think there's anything bad with a little bit of flirting in business. Is there? Like, we're all human beings. I think I it's... I'm going to get myself in... So water. difficult, though, isn't it? Because, like, if you are... If somebody's... I, I agree. Like, a little bit of flirting, and I am open to flirting with anyone. Male, <laughs> female. True. I flirt with everybody. Flirt with everybody. You flirt with who you want to flirt yeah, with. You don't want your boss true. telling you who you have to yeah. flirt and with. And I think that's exactly the point, yeah. which is when that chemistry is going both ways, it's great. But how do you... How could she go back to her boss and just put the line down here, Sarah? Oh, this is, this is getting tougher and tougher. Every question, tougher and tougher. Um, so my, my first advice here would be, and it's always the advice I give people, choose your company carefully. Uh, and by company, I mean the, 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 the person that you spend your life with, the friends that you hang out with at the weekends, and the company where you spend every day of your working week. Uh, because these are not the questions that you want to be having to think about when you're making dinner in the evening. Um, so my big advice to anyone in this situation would be probably to recognise that this boss is not the boss that's going to help you develop in a way you want to and look at alternative opportunities. Yeah, I agree. Now, I always go to how I, I would how I would feel in any situation. And I always think, what are my boundaries? Because I do, I flirt with everyone. And I, I say flirting, not in a sexual way, but just in communicating. I flirt with men and women. Um, so I would have to understand what who, who are the actors within this? What are my boundaries and what do I feel comfortable with? Because I personally have a high level of or agency. So I feel in control of most of my situations. If you recognise that you're someone that doesn't feel in control of that situation and therefore in terms of boundaries, you don't know you, that you can control someone else's boundary and how much they come into your own personal space or how they speak to you, then it's a flat no. But personally, I have enough control so that I think I probably would just go. I think I'd also point out to the boss that this could go really badly wrong. Yeah, I'd, point right, out, I'd point out the downside of this. Imagine if something inappropriate happens, if it becomes a thing, that could be one very precious client that's lost to the business and that's not what the boss wants to happen. I think that's it's always about go back. If somebody is like really pushing you to do something you don't want to do, go back to what do they think is going to get out, they're going to get out of this, right? And just show them that they're not going to get that. That is going to be the worst situation possible if something bad happens in that dinner, the whole thing explodes and you lose the client anyway. It's not going to work out. So go back and think, okay, what does my boss think is going to be the advantage here? And how can I show them that that is not going to happen? And actually the threat is much, much bigger. So that is our wisdom. Hopefully that's helped you. But of course, if you want more of it, and why wouldn't you? Because we are wise, wise women with so many mistakes made. Um, then you know what? You should find us on social media. You should tweet us at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour, or find us on Instagram at the same handle, or of course, Facebook, or using the hashtag B-A-W-H. But first of all, we're going to say a massive thank you to Sarah Wood from Unruly. Thank you so much for coming in today. You've been great. It's, it's been lovely having you. It has been a kick-ass interview. Yay! I'm really enjoying <laughs> Thank you. We've loved having you. And of course, we are going to be back in a minute with our backdated badass, a woman from history that you should absolutely know about. So stay tuned for that. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And it's time for our backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. But this week we've actually asked a current badass, the digital features editor of Stylist magazine, Harry Hall, to tell us about a woman that she really admires and respects and why she is such a badass. Harry, thanks for joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. So who are you talking about this week and why do you love them? So my backgrounded badass is the Italian Baroque painter Artemisia Gentileschi. Um, Interestingly, I think a lot of people haven't heard of her, but she was active during the 1600s. And it wasn't until the 20th century that her art was really rediscovered. Um, Today she's considered one of the most famous female painters of the 17th century. Um, So she's a really fascinating person. And tell us a little bit about her as a person. When did she start painting? What was her subject matter and why? So she, um, so as I said, it was, this was kind of a time when not only were women artists largely sidelined, but they weren't allowed in the academies and they definitely weren't allowed to attend live drawing sessions where there were kind of male, uh, nude male models. Um, but Artemisia's father, Orazio, was actually a painter in his own right. And he really sort of encouraged her and nurtured her talent. And so the other thing that really interested me when I 
knew that you were picking her and we looked into her was that obviously her art is amazing but she was also um the victim in one of the kind of biggest and most I don't want to say celebrated but kind of most infamous rape trials at mm-hmm. this time can you tell us about that in 1612, um, her father took his, his then friend, um, a man called Cassie, to court for her, for her brutal rape. The case went on for seven months and it was really, really talked about, you know. Um, and Cassie was, in fact, convicted of her rape, but he served no time because he was this, this sort of celebrated painter. He painted for the church, he painted for the Pope. And as a result, he wasn't convicted. So we're looking at her pieces at the moment and they are of the time and they're quite dark in in colour. She focuses on um, portraits and individuals and um, moments between mother and child. But the the one I'm I'm looking at is um, two women actually stabbing a man in the throat or or, or slicing his his neck, one of the two. do you think what she experienced in, in, in life became the underpinnings of, of her work? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's no question about it. I think what makes Gentileschi so remarkable is not just that she succeeded so much in a male time. It was that she painted her own experience. It was this kind of visual rallying cry for a female emancipation. But what um, Gentileschi's version really does is it changes the role. It makes these two women... You've got the woman slaying, slaying Holofernes and you've got her servant. But instead of the servant waiting there passively, they're both pinning him down. There's blood squirting everywhere. It is really this kind of visceral, you know, slaying of the patriarchy. And, you know, from, from after the trial and in fact before, you can see in her art this kind of reflection of this male oppression that was sort of quotidian in, in their society. Obviously, she's this amazing kind of, you know, amazing artist with these incredible contemporaries like Caravaggio. And we know Caravaggio. He's a household name. He's got entire galleries dedicated to him. How do we... I feel like this kind of sidelining of women in art as well still happens today. What could we be doing to kind of highlight the brilliant female artists of the past and make sure this doesn't happen now? There are, there were women artists. We know that. Um, you know, Jen Celeste is an example of that. And then... Um, you know, there are certain groups like the Gorilla Girls. Um, they're a kind of vigilante group of, of female artists that go around wearing these kind of gorilla masks and they go to museums and they say, look, the percentage of women artists in your collection is abysmal. We need to bring these to the fore. We need to teach people. I think there needs to be much more kind of books discussing female artists. Mm. Um, there have been, but I think, you know, we need to display them. We need to talk about them. And, you know, that's why today I really wanted to talk about Gentle Lester. And she really is a trailblazer of sort of feminist expression, this female icon that is representing the female condition. And there are many more like her. We just have to, you know, talk about them, find them and, uh, and not let them be lost to the canon anymore. It's a bit of a side note, but um, the, the vault bar at the NED, the, there's artwork on the wall and is it, there's a, there are 101 paintings or 100 paintings and 97 of those or, or, uh, pieces of art, I should say, and 97 of those pieces of art are, were done by, by women um, and three were done by men. And it's to show the reverse... Uh, in numbers of is it FTSE 100 the women in leadership positions in the FTSE 100 FTSE 100 and so when I first heard that I was like this is amazing the the art on the wall has been done by women and I sort of slapped myself thinking why is this amazing it should be the norm we should be walking (laughs) into places and the art should be done by women all the time and it should always be more than the men (laughs) so more to be done to reverse that and you know you know, women artists make up only three to five percent of major permanent collections. That's in wow. America, but you know, that's that's not how many the percentage of women artists that are that, that we're acting. You know, it's, it's really not represented. And I know that um, art is quite a good reflection of that. I think because it's so, such a visual medium, you can really see the female experience. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Harry. We have loved hearing from you about Artemisia Gentileschi, our backdated badass for this week. It's been great to have you. Thank you. Um, So hopefully that's given you some food for thought and a really fantastic, powerful feminist artist to go and look up. We're coming to the close of our show, but as ever, we like to leave you with a badass principle for the week, something to live your life by in the next seven days. And our principle this week, Emma, what is it? Ah, so our principle this week, oh, I get to do it, this is exciting, (laughs) is be generous. Nice. And where has this come from? Well, I think it's come from the the theme of the show, but I definitely, I mean, this is definitely the way that I live my life. I have this thing where I'm like, I'll just 
give out stuff because it all comes back to you in <laughs> Do you the know end. What? What I was thinking this in the week. I was like, Em would give her bleeding last Rolo. <laughs> Stop giving you know stuff I, away. Yeah, yeah, you, you know would. what, actually? It's, it's probably one of my best qualities and then it's my detriment <laughs> as well. So, yeah, be generous, but have boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> be generous with boundaries. And Nat, do you think, are you generous? Um, I am, but I'm trying to be better at not giving everything away. So I've spent my life sort of giving because I can. I've always been, you know, if I've got food in my fridge and a roof over my head, then everything else is extra. So therefore I can give it away. And then I get to a point where I'm like, hold on a minute. I've given all of this stuff away and I just don't feel like I have enough. So I'm being better at saying no, not giving everything away. I don't have to give everything away. And I, there's a, I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but I realised through therapy <laughs> that I show my love by giving, but I can still, I can love without doing that. And for me, it's very difficult to to show how I love people without giving them stuff at, at the same time. But there, there was a, there's a quote, which I can't remember. Um, so I need to disconnect giving from love as well. So for me, the kind of concept of be generous is really... It's a lovely bit. It's also really hitting for me today because yesterday, a very good friend of mine who is probably one of the most generous women I know um, put me in touch with somebody who was looking for some copywriting work. And I couldn't actually do it, but I said, oh, I know some other people and I can pass it on to them and I'll put them forward for it. And um, the friend who put us in touch, she's like, make sure you get 10%. You know, just say to them, any work they do, they give you 10%. And I, part of me was going to go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll do that. It's no work, 10%. It's instantly and I thought actually this woman has given me so much she just puts people in touch with me all the time and she never says mm. where's my 10% on that she never asks and I thought I want to be her she is an amazing successful brilliant businesswoman and she just does it from this place of generosity because I do really believe that what you give out is what you get back and so I passed that job on and I was like have it you people will be brilliant at it if you can take it you can pitch for it go for it I don't need anything else and I think it comes back so that is our principle for this week be generous this has been the Badass Women's Hour as always if you want to connect with us if you want to talk to us if you've got opinions on stuff we've been saying do find us on social media using the hashtag B-A-W-H or you can find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour HR at Badass Women's Hour Instagram, Facebook all the same you can talk to us individually you can find me at Harriet Minter Emma at Emma Sexton. Nat. At Nat D. Campbell. Or if you want to meet us in person, if you want to come be part of Badass Women's Hour Live, we have a live event happening at the W Hotel London next Tuesday. All the details are on our social media. You can get tickets from us there. And of course, we will be back here on Talk Radio next week. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.